define style to you? When you see someone walking down the street, what makes you say that person has style? Style is not a person. Style is a manifestation of culture that comes alive in an individual who represents that culture. You know, when you look at the jazz musician, you know, the way they, they, they style might, they might just take a hat and toss it a certain way or use colors a different way, you know? So that's what it is. It's like, first it's the culture. And then out of the culture comes the style. Continuing with Women's History Month by featuring the woman named Most Stylish Richmonder of 2018 and actualized style urbanite, Miss Mecca Williams. Thank you, Mecca, so much for being here. Hi, Chelsea. Thank you for having me. So in transparency, Mecca is a girlfriend of mine, which reminds me of how blessed and highly favored I am to have such an incredible network of black women making history around me. But You surprised me, Mecca, and so many in Richmond this past February when you released a Richmond Black History Month style editorial on your Instagram page. So tell me and the listeners, what is a style editorial? Okay, when most people think of the term editorial, it's pretty much like magazine or newsprint write-ups, right? So a style editorial is more of the, the, the photos that you would see in some of your magazine publications, such as Vogue, Essence, Ebony, I don't know, Paper Magazine, those types of publications. And the style editorial also, you'll see them, the models in different scenes with different brand clothes on. And it'll be, for instance, you'll see someone in the desert somewhere in Ralph Lauren clothing or um, Prada, they'll be on a plane. So whatever is seen that they conceptualize based upon the season of clothing, they usually try to have that as far as the piece. So that would be a style editorial. So the piece and the style that has a lot to do with the place of where they are. Yes, it's just all part of the editorial. It's telling a story. It's telling a story through the visual. And the visual has so much to do with where they are. They could be on a plane. They could be in this desert. So, And that's interesting to me as someone that's not in the, the style life, right? This is obviously an ad for a clothing brand. And it doesn't even occur to me what's happening in the background. But that's such part that's so part of how I take in what I'm looking at as well. Like I love water. I love the outdoors. So when there is something that is showing me a piece of clothing, but they're outside, I'm more likely to just stop on the page and look even deeper. So that happened a lot to me this past February when I was scrolling past your page. And first of all, you always are looking dope on your page. I mean, as the most stylish Richmonder, it's no surprise that every time we turn on your page, you are bringing us art through what you're wearing. But what happened for me in particular, because you kind of snuck this on everyone, um, is that I started to recognize certain places here in Richmond that were now featured on your Instagram page. Now, before we dive into that too much, I want to just talk about you a little bit. Besides catching Mecca on the front page of the August 2018 issue of Richmond Magazine, you've also probably seen Mecca hosting parties that serve all the looks that only she can pull off, such as a Style and Spirits happy hours, including partnering with Richmond Fashion Week, but also she and a crew have been selling out spaces with the hottest new party to hit Richmond, 2 triple O. So who are your 
all your partners with all of this. Okay, so for Style and Spirits, that was established in 2017, the summer of 2017, co-created with my partner Dom, um, 2 that is a... Uh, nostalgic music dance experience. My partners in that, that's Dom again. We were brought on as Dallin Spirits into this uh, vin- venture. DJ Ravon and J.O. So what I always loved about the Style and Spirits and what is also happening in 2 is that you all kind of bounce around in spaces. Yes, we have different spaces that we bounce around. So Style and Spirits, we started off, um, our first two parties was at Brewers Cafe here on the south side. Second party was at uh, the mini bar. Third party, oh my gosh, I'm going down memory lane. Two parties we had at mini bar. Two was at Brewers, then it was two at mini bar. We had an annual party at um, on the north side at Good Times Restaurant. And we had a red, black, and green party at Vagabond. So what do all these spaces kind of have in common? Black. <laughs> <laughs> Black-owned spaces. They're all black-owned spaces. It started, that was intentional, but we were not going to limit ourselves to that. But it just so happened that's what it was. And then we decided to kind of take a hiatus from having the parties. We had planned another party that was not at a black-owned space. It was at a space here on the south side, a small cafe, Cafe Zada. But that didn't work out. Um, not in anything with the venue. They were great, but it was we just made a conscious decision to just stop with the parties. And I mean, you you all don't limit yourself to just black-owned spaces because you've also partnered with RVA Fashion Week. We partnered with RVA Fashion Week to do their um, their day party. They have a street-style day party, so we participated in that twice. That's beautiful. And uh, talk a little bit about 2 Triple O. 2 Triple O. oh my goodness. Like I said, it's a nostalgic dance party, and that was co-created, DJ Ravon, J.O., myself, Dom, and it's also um, co-DJ is DJ Nobi and hosted by Chelsea. You all know her as Starring Chelsea. Just in case, what does 2 Triple O mean? 2 Triple O means 2,000. So 2 and the 3 O's. So that's what it means, and we just kind of decided they broke it down into the actual words and it's all music from 2000 to 2010 in the early 2000s it was such a poignant point in a lot of people who's out and about now their lives they were either in middle school high school or like early adulthood so it's we've created this thing where people are really enjoying they reminisce over that music remember we had times we had like a lot of 80s parties a few years ago 90s parties so we decided it was time to capitalize on the early 2000s. That was the years of the producers. A lot of great music came out of that era. I mean, I know as soon as a, a song from the 2000s comes on, I know exactly where I was, right? When that, where what I was doing, what I was going through in life, that's what music does. And that's what these curation of parties does for people that you're holding and that you're doing is that we are able to reminisce on good times, but we're also able to just like have good times with people in our current as well so it it's really interesting that with with the parties of style and spirits with two triple o what you all are doing is just really so much more than just a party no it's we're, we're it's a cultural community movement that we would love to expand so it's way more than a party we're trying to we're, we're curating with two triple o and experiences that was exactly what we were trying to do with what we did with style and spirits but we just kind of now the focus is two triple O and I have other ventures. So yeah. 
So let's talk a little bit about those other ventures. Uh, people have also seen you because of all of your leadership in the mental health space and holding space for those conversations. Tell a little bit about, you know, the letters behind your name. Wow, Chelsea, you're running me down. <laughs> people like, need to know about you. I'm like, wait a minute. It's more. <laughs> So career-wise, the letters behind my name is LPC. That's Licensed Professional Counselor. I am a mental health therapist, and I, that's what I've been doing. I've been working in the mental health field for over 15 years in various communities and populations. Currently, I work with the population that suffers with severe mental illness and addiction. So that's what I'm currently doing, but I've had a range of experience throughout my time in the mental health field. And I love it. This is what I know as of now I'm here to do. I'm here to participate and facilitate in one's healing. It's Women's History Month, and it's important to highlight and run you down because as a black woman making history, we have to show all the different roles and hats that you wear because it's a reality for all of us that this is how progress is made. This is how history made. This is how community is gathered is that we are doing all of this in our free time. And we have a whole full time career that we do that most people don't even know. But people do know about you in the mental health world because you are part of a space that gets together monthly, right? Yep. Okay, so Tangi and I, Tangi is LCSW. She is a co-owner of Avail Counseling. We co-facilitate a monthly men group called Cut to the Chase, and that came about. We are also partnered with J-Biz. He is the owner of Brand New Wave Barbershop at Virginia Union University, and also Dion, he's a part of the this whole um, conglomerate of people that make this space happen. So we decided, like J-Biz, I don't know, we were working with him, um, on his annual Ball for a Cause venture. So that ex he's asked us to come in and talk about mental health. So that expanded into another idea. He was like, look, you know, I have a lot of dudes. They always want to talk about just problems and issues. I think we should bring them in, and I want y'all to be a part of this and kind of lead the way. So we were down, and, and it turned. We, we just celebrated one-year anniversary, anniversary of Cuts to the Chase. So now you're in barbershops. Yes. Holding space with mostly black men, and having conversation about mental health. Yes, mental health, relationships, um, toxic masculinity, what is it, manhood, what does that mean, fatherhood. We have an array of, of conversations in that space, and it's powerful. We've had uh, different age groups of men. So we have older men, really young college guys, and they get to like act as mentors for that hour and a half. It's amazing. It's amazing, and it's transformative to watch and I'm just honored and blessed to be there and, and watch these things happen. We're planting seeds and Tangi and I, we just pretty much facilitate, start the conversation and we let the men, you know, do their thing. And you probably recognize Tangi's name from our Black Mental Health Week episode. That is Mecca's partner. And you probably heard about their organizing a panel called Ain't Nothing Wrong With You that kicked off an entire movement of Black Mental Health Week here in Richmond. Talk just for a second about, again, the work of holding space to talk about this cultural dynamic that has mental health and blackness. Okay, so that all started when I'm heavily into music and hip hop in particular. Um, Kanye. Kanye was going through all his things and people had all sorts of uh, commentary and opinions on it. And I was becoming frustrated because I saw that people were 
uninformed and ignorant to what was really happening with him as far as his mental health. They were not believing him. It was just all sorts of things happening. It was like a lot of jokes about it. So I was becoming increasingly frustrated. And then at that same time, it was a lot of celebrities like killing themselves. It was a lot going on at that same time. So I put a post out on Instagram. It was like, hey, I tagged like a lot of people. It was like, hey, who wants to like, we need to go out here and get together and start educating people like, about mental health. What is, what is this? What does it look like? Um, and Tangi followed up and we created a panel discussion. We um, had a panel of very licensed in whatever discipline. We had a, a, a nurse. We had a psychi- psychiatric nurse, that is. We had several therapists on the panel, a psychologist. They came together. They were all black. And they we had a crowd of people show up at the Belmont um, Library. I think it's Belmont. Yes, it is Belmont. Belmont Library, and it was we couldn't get everybody in the room. So that was amazing. And then also from that, we were able to go to Charlottesville and do the same panel discussion. So I see it clearly, but in case someone can't, what is the intersection of mental health and these curation of parties that you're doing? (laughs) It's just, it's, I think it's healing. I think all of it's healing. I'm, it's all of it is to uplift people, period. Uplift people, uplift spaces, um, provide people with resources, energy to feel good about themselves. So tell us a little bit about who are your inspirations? Dapper Dan definitely is one of my inspirations and style. His story is is amazing. Um, Dapper in his community in Harlem, he he grew up poor and he started using clothes. He was known as the guy that would dress. Um, he was around a lot of gangsters, and he got the name Dapper Dan because he was dapper. He flexed. That was part of his thing, his style aesthetic. And then um, he tells a story in his book when he went to Africa. That's when he really piped up because he had a tailor. So he, in his mind, he wanted to incorporate the African patterns with the Harlem street style. So that that silhouette of what they were wearing in the 70s but with African patterns. So that's when he started designing how are you inspired today when you wake up every morning to dress yourself? Oh my goodness. I'm inspired by, it just depends. I'm inspired by patterns. Sometimes I'm, I, I can look at like a flower and look at like how the flower, some flowers has have mixed colors in the inside. And I'm like, Oh, that's dope. And I'll try to find something like if it's yellow and purple, let me wear that today. So it's a lot of things that different. So it's nature that inspires me. I may see something on social media that inspires me like, oh, I have that, and I'll, you know, do a replica of that. So it's a lot of different things that I'm inspired by. I love watching you on social media bring out the pieces that you have and that are seen in the world and other pieces of media. I'm like, oh, I have that, and watch the different ways that I wear it. <laughs> That's exactly what I do. I'm like, I have that, something similar, and I'll just do something else with it. No, she doesn't just do something else with it. I mean, these are whole looks that you don't even realize she has transformed from the same piece of clothing. And just to see the way that she can throw it up on social media and show us the way that you're doing it, it it really is able to demonstrate how much of an art this is, how much of a skill this is. And like you are, you're really fooling a lot of us as well. The way that you just pull off different looks, it's like, oh, you have so many clothes. 
I'm yeah, I'm a magician when it comes to this stuff. For real. Because I if you like look at my closet, my closet is kinda basic. Like I get asked on a regular basis, how many shoes do you have? How many clothes do you have? I'm like it's not because I'm steadily getting rid of stuff, too. I don't hold on to things. So I'm not one of those people that keep stuff, um, a whole lot of stuff <clears throat> forever. If it doesn't serve me anymore, I have if I've assessed it, I haven't worn this thing in whatever amount of years, I get rid of it. I can't. I don't like a lot of holding on to a lot of things. So I am good at I will mix. I'm a mix master when it comes to utilizing my closet. Yes, I still do shop and buy things, but I don't really have to because I ha- I know how to re-wear things and I try to that's another thing I, I'm an encourager of shopping your closet look through your closet and see what you can do we get trapped and stuck into believing we don't have anything to wear and the reality is we do and I think also where that comes from is people when they go shopping they kind of they look for the same type of stuff when people find the average shopper when they find things that fit their body that they kind of stick with that silhouette and that is the thing that kind of keeps you stuck branch out how get some get something that has bold prints and colors and see what else it can go with in your closet people start to believe oh if i buy this i can't wear this like several ways yes you can you have to like expand your mind mecca has always been a visual vendor is what i call her a living breathing unpredictable piece of art Here on Race Capital, we highlight the place, space, and time of our capital city, and your style editorial does just that by amplifying location of Black businesses. But first, how have locations or places and spaces you've occupied influenced you today in Richmond? So what are some influential places in your past? Influential places in my past, when I think about... um, me coming to Richmond to go to VCU uh, as a teenager, 17 years old, in the 90s. Fast forward a few years later, I started working at um, Foot Locker. Foot Locker in 6th Street Marketplace. 6th Street Marketplace, unfortunately, no longer exists for anyone who doesn't know about that space. It was on Broad Street near the Tallheimer's building. Um, that was a place that had a mixture of commercial uh, retailers such as Foot Locker, and they had a lot of black businesses. So on a daily basis, every time I went to work, I would pop in to different stores, go kick it with the owner, or just talk talk mess or good or support them. Like a lot, if I knew I needed some oil or some soap or something, I could access those people. There was vendors, black vendors, out on the streets back then too. We don't see vendors anymore. It was a woman. I have still have a knitted hat that from a lady who used to knit hats, and she would, she was one of the vendors. We could just go and walk out on these streets and find these people. So that always, that influenced black, just me seeing black entrepreneurship and us supporting us. And I saw the importance of that. Also, I saw working at Foot Locker, all the people who shopped at Foot Locker looking for whatever the latest sneakers were, their styles, their fashion. It was very Richmond, their gold teeth, whatever clothes what was out there and they were wearing whatever they were looking for, which was usually Jordans or phone pauses or whatever. That was a big thing, too, watching that movement and being influenced by that style, Richmond style during that time. It was more raw. It was very Richmond. You could point it out. Mm. When Do you have any idea when that kind of started to fade in your memory? Uh, I don't know. Probably with just technology. When, you know, with the, the, when technology comes into play, you have more access to what's happening in the world versus looking around in your city. So... Richmond is, is weird. They like you can't 
point out, okay, this is Richmond style. Some people can point it out. I can't at this particular time, but back then I could. This is how you dressed if you was from Richmond. You could easily like you look like you from Richmond. You could easily point it out. So I find you really relevant to the show because as an activist, I see you every day just showing up in the world as a style activist. And I've heard you refer to yourself as that. Can you talk a little bit about what the hell is a style activist? Style activist, meaning I use my style, how I show up in the world. It's I go against the grain. Like technically, you know, I'm a thicker black woman. I wear my hair and hair is not, you know, straight or whatever is the um, norm or more acceptable I don't think that I have, like, that linear look that people like, like, oh, my gosh, look at her, that type of thing. I'm not a model. Um, so by me utilizing my style, I'm inspiring other black women, black men, too, and young and young young black people to, hey, I can wear what I want. I can go out here and look the way I look and not worry about what someone else has to say about it. So that's style activism. I'm going against the grain. I'm doing all the things that I'm really not supposed to be doing. Let them tell it. <laughs> You're going against the grain. You just did some air quotes. Let them tell it. We talk about racial narratives here. Mm-hmm. So to me, it sounds like you're saying against the grain, against the societal norms, it, against whiteness. Yeah, societal norms against Eurocentric ideology that we've all adapted and have conditioned to think is beauty. So... Yeah, the white gaze, the male gaze. I'm going against all that, so that's important. And I and I and it's working because often I get people telling me, you know, I always show my daughter your your page, or I show my son your page. They love your style. So if I, that's my whole point. If the youth can see me and feel inspired, I've had people reach out to me and say, Hey, my son's being bullied. They want to dress the way they want to dress. I always show them your style. That's beautiful to me. So that keeps me going. It keeps me pushing. Even when I sometimes feel like I like maybe, you know, this is not working. Maybe I'm not doing I need to just go and get and do what everybody else is doing. But that would be inauthentic to who I am. Give us a breakdown of what this style editorial was. How many businesses did you highlight? Why did you do it? How did this even come about? Uh, how did it come about? I don't know. One day, I'm always in my, I'm creating at all times in my head. I'm always thinking about, all right, what can I do? Um, and I, I want, I wanted to do something that wasn't going to be cumbersome and overwork me, but I wanted to do something that was impactful and meaningful. I knew I wanted, I was just in the bed thinking, I want to do something for black history. And I remember texting one of my friends. I was like, hey, I got this idea. I want to highlight, like, I want to do a style editorial. I want to highlight 28 days of black businesses. And she was like, all right, do it. That was, like, the only person I text. That was it. So then I started writing down all these businesses in my notes. And then I realized, oh, my gosh, I started to become overwhelmed. Like, I cannot do 28. That's cumbersome. That's too much. And that's expensive. So I decided, I was like, what can I do? And I said, I could do one a week. And I reached out to Courtney, my photographer, who worked with me on this project, say, hey, I started to map out the time it would take um, and what businesses I wanted to be involved. 
She's Courtney Jones, and on Instagram, she's Courtney J eight hundred four. So you wanted to do something for Black History? Why this? It was my love letter to Black people. It was my. I wanted to highlight Black businesses, Black businesses that I like and I appreciate, and I think I think that people should know about. I don't think a lot of people know about some of the black businesses that I know about. I've been here for a long time. I live on the south side, so it's businesses that's on the low that people really didn't know about. So I was like, this is my opportunity. Some of these businesses do are not involved in social media at all. You know, some of them are heavily on social media. Three of the businesses I know hands down is not involved in social media. Also, some of these people are my personal friends. And I'm like, this is just my opportunity to go. I get to highlight my style in their business. And, you know, I think it would be dope. So name the businesses that you highlighted this past February. I did um, Urban Hang Suite, which is owned by Kelly Lemon. I did Baker Unified Fitness, owned by Richard Baker. I did MTK Auto, owned by Michael Wiggins. I did Harold's Restaurant, owned by Harold Thomas. I did Genesis Barbershop, owned by Kenneth Barney. And I also did Bahashem Soap Company. And like you said, you also have been working with a black female photographer. So, and then you as well are a black walking business. So altogether, it sounds like you have at least nine black businesses that you were able to highlight in the style editorial. Yeah, relatively, because when you say nine, the other business that I highlighted, but I was not, I didn't go and um, interview them or anything was the uh, cleaners, the 24 hours cleaners on Hall Street. I took a picture and talked about a little bit. They've been in business for over 40 years. My name's Chloe. You're listening to My Mommy on the Radio. (laughs) That's right, Chloe. They're listening to WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio, as Race Capital talks to Mecca Williams, giving us a backstage look at her February Black History Month style editorial that she says is her love letter to black people. Stay tuned as we continue to honor the women in Richmond, Virginia, this Women's History Month. Looking through your style editorial, per usual, you look amazing. Name a couple of the looks and tell us about them. Okay, I'll start with the one that stands out to me the most. When I um, went to MTK Auto. So, he was supposed to do the shoot when I originally planned. I only had four people planned originally. He was supposed to be a part of that, but his timing was not fitting into what we had scheduled. So, I was just like, all right, you know, sucks. We'll get you another time if I decide to do this again. What happened was he saw me post up the one I did for um, Urban Hank Suite. So he DM'd me, was like, Mecca, we got to do this. <laughs> so he did what he needed to do. I told him what needed to happen, and we made it happen. But it stands out because I didn't really have a look. Everything else I had a look curated um, for. I was It was pre-planned. So that kind of came out of, like, left field, and I was like, oh, what am I going to wear? So in my head, I conceptualized I wanted to look like um, – Kind of a rich girl shopping for a car, like a luxury vehicle. <laughs> yes, yes. That's the that's what I wanted to give. And I was like, gosh, like I was like, I'm not buying anything. What am I wearing? So um 
I remembered I had I had a dress that I purchased from um so so extra so extra shout out to so extra boutique. I had a dress I never wore it. It was just like a tiger print dress, um, bodycon, long sleeve. Just had it in the closet, um, and I was like, wait a minute. What if I wore, I already had like this leather dress that I wear as an A-line, this on top of this. I was like, oh my gosh, that'll be fly. And I was like, I can switch my shoes out. I had my Nike Atmos collection sneaker. I had my boots, my, um, what is it, snakeskin printed boots from Kenneth Cole. I was like, I can switch the shoes out. That'll be great. But I was like, something's missing here. So I'm watching The Killing of Malcolm X. Okay. Surprise. The girl's going to be surprised by this one. I'm watching The Killing of Malcolm X one night, and I'm, like, into it. So I started to notice um, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, his his feds, his hats. I was like, these are, they flat. I was like, and then it just came to me. I need a fez. Because <laughs> I, I needed, I wanted a hat, but I was, I was not, I was like, I don't want to wear anything. I don't want a regular hat. I just kind of knew I didn't want to wear a head wrap. It was something missing from that look. So I went on Amazon. I found me a green, like this this luxurious color. It's a pretty green fez, and that topped the look off. Then I added, added on my red fingerless leather gloves, and that was it. So that look really stands out to me because of how I was inspired by this Netflix documentary. In yeah. particular, Honor Elijah Muhammad's fezes. Like, that is not, like, who does that? Right. So I was happy. I'm very happy to tell that story. I never really get to talk about this. People don't, people tell me, you know, I see people, they're like, oh, that was great what you would do. But I don't, I don't ever sit down and really, people don't ask how I come up with this stuff. And it's particular, this particular shoot. And I think that's important to understand how I think and what I was looking at and what it, these things inspire me. I'm inspired every day by something. I take, um, I take something from like uh, the the Malcolm X documentary. I mean, that just shows wow. it again how important Black media is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then you wouldn't have had that inspiration to even be at your fingertips in the background on a Netflix. Absolutely, I would have. I mean, I knew something was missing. But I just didn't know what it was. And so that was it. Shout out to the Netflix. They Gotta Have Us documentary and talking about black movies and black cinema. Um, so that was one of the looks. What about over at the gym, our favorite fitness instructor? Okay, so at Baker Unified Fitness, I wanted... I wanted my look to be kind of sporty, right? However, like, you know, I'm known for wearing sneakers. I didn't want to wear sneakers. <laughs> and I know people were like, like, she got heels because I'm always trashing heels, right? Yeah, I have heels. I have a few pair of heels. I just don't wear them. So I wanted to look sporty. And I was like, how? I have, a, I have soccer jerseys. I have jerseys. I don't watch any sports, but I have. I have soccer jerseys, baseball. I have all sorts of jerseys. But I was like, I don't want to just wear a jersey. Like, no. So I found this sequence, um, like, European soccer, long-sleeve soccer jersey. And a lot of people probably didn't recognize it was actually a, it's a soccer jersey. They call it a football jersey. So I was like, this is dope. This is, I ha like, let me wear this and wear it with these heels and these leather-look socks. And that'll be my look. I thought it was fun. And it just so happened to match the background of his facility. Which I, thought was nice. I think it was 
amazing that so Mecca is known to not wear heels she if you follow her and listen to her she will tell you about how she decided one day that wearing heels was just not the thing to do anymore and she was not going to do it um so to see the heels in the gym was like oh oh oh, I see what we're doing here okay okay and then the socks but please make sure you go check out that look and finally tell us about the look over at the Urban Hang Suite Oh, Urban Hang Suite look, um, that was kind of fun to put together. I um, wanted to give a very a vibe that I was in a coffee shop, like like you were reading a novel, and this is the girl that they describe at the coffee shop. She's either, she's on, she's a detective on a case, <laughs> you know, waiting for the perk to come in, or she is like, like in the background, casing out the woman her husband was cheating with or something. I wanted to give that type of look. That's why I was very demure and kind of like had the shades on. I had the bucket hat. I had a trench on, a colorful trench because that speaks to my style aesthetic. I like color. I have another, I have a basic trench. I just did not want to wear that. And I wore like a black dress under it and um, some Nikes, these Nike, like they tabby toe slip-on thingies and I, and it matched the coat so I thought that was fun and I had on like some Nike socks and it was just a fun moment I liked it I loved it I loved that look like who is that I wanted you to be like who, who the hell is that <laughs> if you were to go in her coffee shop and saw somebody dressed like me and looking like the way I was looking in the photos you're gonna wonder what is going on in here I'm going to be honest, Mecca, anytime someone kind of looks at you and you out and about, we might always think, what is going on? Like, where is she going? What's going on? Because you always have some, some kind of look. So each of these places in Richmond are taking up black space, which is so beautiful. Um, are there a couple stories you can tell us about one or two of the places that you featured in your style editorial? Yes, I'll talk about Genesis Barbershop. Genesis Barbershop is owned by my actual barber, Kenneth um, Barney. Kenneth is an older black man, and in addition to having a barbershop, he owns real estate property, and he also builds houses in Haiti. He is serious about his, his, his mission in Haiti. It's called Grace and Mercy. So when I came to him about my idea, he was like, talk about my um, foundation, talk about my foundation. He was like on me about that. I love that barbershop. It's it's him, his um, his barber partner. They're older black men. They have a different type of clientele in that space. They talk about politics, money, business. They joke around somewhat about sports. It's, I'm comfortable there. Um, I learn a lot every time I'm there because I've never really. I was. It was serious for me to find a barbershop I was comfortable in. I'm not really comfortable in the typical, typical like male agenda barbershops I don't want to like <laughs> I understand that because I too go to a barber and it, it matters the barbershop especially because I also have a daughter and sometimes I have to bring my daughter to the barbershop so finding one that's comfortable is important yeah because in the barbershops I used to have been in the conversations about women and I don't know just a lot of stuff that I don't really want to listen to but that place makes me feel comfortable he's not really he's on social media but not really um it was important for me to highlight that place because of his mission. He take he also instead of, also in addition to building the houses, he gets old laptops and takes them there for the students. So that's made he goes at least he goes several times a year. He is like so serious about going to Haiti. It's 
it's it's interesting. Well, that that speaks to the earlier point about the black folk hustle, like the community hustle, right? So I asked you about the place and you could have talked to me. You did. You talked to me a little bit about the barbershop, but you also talked to me about how important his community mission was. And even for him, it was like, plug my foundation because this is the important work. Like we all, we all have some type of side hustle in the back that is uplifting community. That's bringing up community together. But we have this front facing thing too. That's also paying our bills because you know, capitalism. Exactly. So if I could highlight that barbershop, have people come in and support whatever he's doing, either by patronizing, because they're great barbers, but patronizing them or just stopping in and asking how you can help the foundation. So that's why I definitely wanted to highlight him. The other one I wanted to highlight that I found that was important to me was Harold's. Harold's Kitchen is here on the south side. A lot of people don't know about him. A lot of people told me when I posted it. I didn't know about this place. Why didn't I know about this place? Harold's, I've been going to Harold's since I moved to the South Side like 13 years ago. And it also became a tradition when my cousins would come in town. <laughs> like they would come. Like we would all go to Harold's because they have they have really good soul food. Um, and they're nice. I watched his 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 son graduate from high school, his son graduate from college. They have family-run business. That business started off as a seafood spot, but it was founded by his father. Um, back in the 70s, I believe, and then in 1983, it turned into Harold's Kitchen, and then Harold, the one, Harold Jr., that's there now, um, he took over the business when his father passed away, and he's been keeping it alive and running, him and his wife. His son pops in and works there sometimes, but he decided to go off on his own career, so they're really good people. It's on 22nd Street. And what do you think your story after this is going to be? when it's been about a month now since you've done this have you had time to kind of let it sink in and digest your own processing of this type of project I don't think I ever let anything sink in it takes years for me to realize I was like the other day I was in the shower and I was thinking yo I've done a lot of stuff like it doesn't it just kind of like okay I did it let me move on (laughs) people like People will tell me, oh, that's cool, and I just kind of move on. I don't think I let the magnitude of the things that I've been doing sink in. I don't understand it. I don't, I'm always thinking that, well, it's other people doing bigger stuff. So that's literally literally my thought. And to, like, how, how do you get to do the bigger stuff? But the reality is I have really good intentions in everything that I do, and I move with intention. And everything we've been doing with Style and Spirits, 2 Triple O, we, we, we all, that's the thing I like about every, every thing that I've partnered with, whether it's Cut to the Chase, 2 Triple O, Style and Spirits, whatever, we all, all the people I partner with all have the same mindset of how can we add on other black people so they can get noticed or get money from these, the things that we're doing, like literally. These are the conversations I've, I've had. I know for a fact Style and Spirits has brought together plenty of photographers, introduced plenty of black spaces, introduced plenty of, like, even down to um, Zuna Balloons. Like, she's worked with us, and then she ended up working doing things for 2 Triple So just, I don't know, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I do know that and acknowledge it, but I don't, I don't think I ever really sit and let this stuff sink in. I'm proud of myself, though. I am. Well, we're proud of you, too. 
We're really proud of you. You know, something to add a little bit of politics here is that by gentrifying communities and taking over land and buying out land, a lot of times we don't have our own spaces. We don't necessarily own a building that is our space to meet and congregate there all the time. So it does offer opportunities. Well, you and and so many black folks see it as an opportunity to highlight other spaces. Just the reality is, is that that right there is a form of resistance. Pushing back on the fact that, hey, we don't own this place, but we will take up some space. We will find that space to take up and not just be in community and have joy, but make some money, build businesses. That to me is why when I was looking and watching and and just being proud of you in general, but to see that the intersecting of the fashion, the expression, the history, the places, the businesses, the people, I mean, just the culture of that was so important. And like you said, we might not always realize it because society doesn't realize it, which means it doesn't make a mainstream media or no one's paying for it right now. Right now. Because we know that as soon as the right group population hits us and it's trendy, this could work out and it could work out better for everyone. We've seen that happen in Richmond and that's the hope. And you're doing that work before anybody pays you for it which is also something I'm very familiar with and community organizing. People will probably never pay for half of what I do, which is okay because we just do that for our community anyway. Yeah. Then, like I said, the intention, mm-hmm. this is, this is literally my love letter. This was not about me getting paid, but I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know if Richmond understood the magnitude of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I think some people did, but I don't think they fully get it. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if the business owners really understand the magnitude of what this means. Well, and it's hard to when you're just trying to survive, mm-hmm. right? When we are, everyone is working so hard to the grind that we don't understand the power of our movements. We don't understand the power of coming together and what that means. So it, it, it's hard. Like, it's no one's fault on that. It, it's part of the grind that society has placed us all in. So finally, before we jump into our last segment, Tell us a little bit more about this love letter. Well, love letter to black people. Um, I just think it's important for us to support us, to us to highlight us, to for us to love on us. Um, so this was my way of doing it. I chose to do it through the medium of my style and highlighting black businesses. I mean, I could have chose black anything, but I thought black, hey, Black businesses, it's February, let's take this month, this time, because it's designated as they have designated it for us to celebrate our culture and history. And just in case anything was to happen to any of these businesses, you know how this goes with businesses, they come and go sometimes, but through my art, it will always stand. It was a time, you'll you'll see it, you'll remember it, I have the photos, this like this is gonna last. You've just archived them in history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We definitely can't have you leave without What's your privilege? What's your privilege is a segment of the show where we ask our guests to identify their privilege and how they use it to disrupt 
the myth of white supremacy. Ooh. Mm. I have educational privilege. Um, I have the privilege of physical abilities. And the way I show up is disruptive to their white narrative, period. Um, I work in a space that's majority white, and every day there's a disruption by me. Me being there is just disrupting their whole system and narrative. That's a whole other thing. Um, Where I work is the population is majority white. The staff is majority white. And whatever you consider white, country white, run-of-the-mill white, it is that type of white. Me, (laughs) I'm sure these people have never interacted with a black woman like me. I'm sure. What does a black woman like you mean? I dress the way, how I dress, but I do it in a, you know, I try to be in their dress code. That's hard. That is hard. Um, But I do it anyway. But it's not hard and like you want to show off your body or anything like that. No, not that. It's hard because I can't wear sneakers. That's what's hard. I can't wear sneakers until Fridays, and I think it's silly. I think it's a, it's once again, it's one of those white Eurocentric old school, a uh, dress code is dumb. Like, why can't we wear sneakers? We have to walk around in this on this land. I work on a plantation, by the way, a former plantation. <laughs> I'm about to say, girl, you don't have to clarify. It's a former, that. a former plantation. It's interesting. Like all these things are interesting. So. <laughs> It was hold actually, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You just said you work on a plantation. I know. We can't, we can't let that be a narrative, girl. You do not. You are, we are all off the plantation, well, kind of. Yeah, I work, I work, I physically work on a former plantation. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's okay. It is what it is, right? right? I'm sorry. And it's kind of cool because I get to come back and be in, in the position that I am on in this setting. Um, I love the work that I do, but it's just, I think me showing up the way I show up is disruptive in it. I don't code switch. That's important. Um, but I know what I'm talking about and I know what I'm doing. So you are disrupting white supremacy and that is your privilege because. That is my privilege because, um, I don't know what. Well, because not other black women could just show up and, and have that authority in these types of spaces. Yeah, and that's and and that's because of my education. Right. Yeah, and that's why that is a privilege. Yeah, and and being physically able that is a privilege. Mm-hmm. Some people cannot, you know, show up to work because they don't have various disabilities. Um, also, being mentally able that is a privilege. Mm-hmm. That's a serious privilege. Mm-hmm. So, one privilege that I've identified with you is that your educational privilege and your social choosing has allowed you to choose or avoid not to be in a lot of spaces that you're describing like at work, like all majority white spaces. So like something that you and I have talked about offline is I choose and I join a lot of these white spaces and I'm there and I'm talking and something I realize is that that's not, something that you ever have to be around honestly unless you choose to be and you still have a very full life (laughs) like wow yeah that's that's true and it's not that I'm deliberately avoiding white spaces I don't have a problem with white spaces actually you know you and I've talked about the segregation in Richmond it's ridiculous I would love to like 
be in more white spaces to be in more white spaces because my presence matters. However, is that what is it serving any agenda that I'm on? Like, is it? Are, am I here? Am I gaining information about mental health? Why, why am I here? <laughs> how how am I adding on to the to this setting? And what am I taking away? So those are the, those those are the questions. That's in any setting that I am involved in at this point. Right. Being able to not have to be confronted with spaces that make us uncomfortable because of how we show up yeah. is a privilege. Um. And again, a lot of what I, where I come from, I'm choosing to put myself in those places. But some people can't, right? They don't. They don't have a choice. They have to show up to these places. They have to be around these environments where they obviously are a disruption just by showing up. But they're not there in an authority manner, right? They're not there by choice. They have to be there to to pay their bills right now. And that's happening a lot right now with with this whole coronavirus, right? I mean, people are disruptive just by sneezing. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. My privilege is going to be something I touched on earlier this episode, and I, I know I've spoken about this before on the show, is just my network. Um, I have a background in mental health. I practiced mental health for a very long time, and to have a network of other black mental health professionals in my world, my conversations are very different with you than they are with other folks that don't necessarily have this background. And I don't know how else to, to put that except for like we can just speak about people's behaviors and thinking differently because we have that same background and, and language for it. And that's a real privilege to be able to have a conversation somewhere and be able to call or connect with someone and describe this and have someone connect with me. Because a lot of times we don't have anyone to talk to about that or we can't even, we don't even have the privilege of the knowledge or education to identify what's going on with some folks. And that right there is a privilege of mine that I'm able to give that grace, but also not give a damn about it either. I was just about to say that what I think a lot of people don't know about you is, is that you have that mental health background. I think they see it written somewhere or hear it, but I don't think they really understand. And I, and people don't know, like, in certain spaces that you are very empathetic because you have that, that knowledge. So we've had a lot of conversations about the behaviors of various people in this community, and we'll always be like, well, we know, you know, that's was because blah, 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 blah. That's because they're anxious. We know. We have these conversations, and a lot of times we just kind of be like shrugs, just let people do them. But I don't think people understand that about you. They don't know that about you at all. Yeah, that's not – what I what I what I have the privilege to do now is to just be very confrontational, disruptive with my voice. But my background and what has informed a lot of that is my background with mental health mm-hmm. and people's experiences that I've been managing or supporting for over 10 years. Um, but that is all a privilege that I try and manage and tell people when it's appropriate and also not to just kind of gloat about my master's degree and all of my very like my director positions that I've held that I've managed over 300 people before that I've run technology and systems that I'm a policy nerd from that and have been for years. That's why it makes sense for my political things. But all of that actually doesn't matter if what I'm doing isn't impactful. So that's what I try and stick to. And that's why we, me, that's why I created this show is because I realized that the most important thing that I can do is just amplify other people. 
And that's what I'm hoping to do with you and your work, Mecca Williams, because that's what you're doing is just amplifying other people. And if we continue this cycle to amplify our people and our people amplify us, then that right there is really the idea of community and how capitalism should work. If we're here and this is how our economic system works, this is how it can work for us. Yeah. So we're about to head out, but first tell the folks how they can find you and support you. I am on Instagram at Mecca Presents. I am on Facebook, Mecca Williams. You can also hit me up at Cut to the Chase. That's the venture of the monthly men's meeting that we facilitate. Please follow us there. Join the movement. Come out and support Check out what we're doing. We're doing great stuff. Also, if you want to you know, get into a party zone and have a good time, we have the best DJs, best hosts, the best everything, best vibes, 2 triple T-W-O-Triple-O-O-H at the end. Follow us. Also, you can follow Style and Spirits RVA, all Instagram. All right. Well, thank you so much for your work. Thank you for the Black History Month style editorial brought to you by Mecca Presents. Yeah, just, you know, like some photos, reshare, come out. That's how you can support and keep this rolling. Like I said, when I was posting these photos before during the Black History Month style editorial, this is not when I ask for people to repost. It's not about me. It's about highlighting black businesses. So whatever personal things that you may feel about me. I would encourage you to put that to the side. A lot of y'all don't even know me personally. Put it to the side and, and pipe up these black businesses. Pipe up and always remember, it's, I have black other black people working with me, such as Courtney, photographer. Pipe these people up, man. Like, you know, let's keep this thing rolling. Let's keep it rolling. Well, we're going to keep it rolling right here on Race Capital. Follow us on Race Capital at everything. Email us at racecapital at gmail.com. And you know what? We're on Patreon, too. So hit us up there. We'll catch you next time on Race Capital. Oh, deny that we ever did it, yeah. What kind of...